You're listening to Australia's number one ski racing podcast, On The Road, sponsored by Coldy's Tow Bars and Bull Bars, featuring Chelsea Stevens, Jack Coldrake, Mick Kelly, Dave Bishop, Tim Horbury, and Wade Bennett. My name's Mick Lumpton, now let's head to the 10. G'day, it's Lumpy here and welcome to our second On The Rope Ski Racing Podcast, where Bishow catches up with a very articulate, connected Australian touring car legend and former SRA CEO in Canberra Conville. But before we get started, we do have another prize pack to give away. And that's right, another one to the value of 350 bucks. All you have to do is answer a question that is asked in this podcast. Head over to our webpage, which is on the rope-podcast.com. Send in your answer. And of course, we couldn't do it without our great sponsors. Savage Force Merchandise, Rubber Jungle, Bullet Boats, Bad Lad, and of course, Coldy's Tow Bars and Bull Bars. Plus, we've got a new segment, Hot Tips with Ziggy. Now, let's find out exactly how hard Bishop pushed Cam McConville. He opens up by finding out all about Cam's boating background. Take a listen. Yeah, when Dad, Dad retired from a, a career at Qantas, he, um, I think he had the midlife crisis. He retired pretty young, so he got the nice car and the boat. So he had the Whitley 21-foot um, cruiser, half cabin. So we used to go out. I couldn't ski behind that one, though, of course. Um and then I think that got me into wanting a boat myself. So when I was racing uh, full time before I had uh, kids and I had some income, um, disposable income, <laughs> I bought a uh, Hain Signature Bow Rider with a 140 Mariner outboard. So two liter, yeah, very nice. Thank you very much. I'm two glad. Liters. Actually, at the time, I wouldn't have had any idea what capacity <laughs> it was. It was just a fun boat to have some fun. And I was living down at Mornington, so yep. not too far from where we're recording today. And um, uh, used to Darren Spencer was a good friend of mine through a mutual friend. We had Sputnik, a, as we like to call him. That's it, yes, correct. He's got a head the size of a Russian he, space. He shape. has, and believe it or not, I think good testimony to that boat was it would pull Daz out on one ski. <laughs> so, no, we, we would ski actually out, you know, across the port sea. We had dolphins. So, look, just recreational level. I was, I was never any good at it. Um, but Daz was the only one I trusted to drive my boat back yep. then. No one else got to drive that boat. Um, yeah, and then, you know, also in my karting days, I was uh, good friends with Lloyd Brewer, who was a ski racer and uh, still with Rollco Marine, so yep. um, did a bit of skiing with Lloyd uh, over the years. Well, mate, you've preempted because I was going to actually mention, you know, there's obviously the Lloyd Brewers who I knew you did go-karting with, and he's yep. Rollco Marine, and he's been a good supporter of ski racing. He has, he has. As well, young Lloydy, so... Uh, get on to Rollco Marine there, ladies and gentlemen. But um, also, I mean, obviously... Some uh, circuit racing guys as well, like uh, obviously Dale and Glenn Wood. Yes. Um, big boaties and big skiers and wakeboarders. And, of course, my old mates Todd and Rick Kelly, who, uh, you know, they love their ski. Well, probably more Todd than Rick loves the ski racing, but Todd's absolutely into it. So yeah, was there any sort of connection there? No, it was funny. I knew that they were in and around the sport. And when I took on the CEO role, I actually called um, Todd up. And I said, what do you know about this sport? You know, and obviously through Darren, I'd followed it. But from a distance, you know, I'd never been to a Southern 80 or anything like that because I'd been in motorsport-centric roles. Um, so, yeah, look, Todd's really... Pa- and it was funny because when at a V8 supercar round prior to coming on at ski racing, I was working at CAMS or I was racing myself just part-time GTs and things like that. Whenever I'd stop them, um, once I started the role at the track, even if there was a cluster going on at V8 World, Todd would talk for 20 or 30 minutes. Um, so would Cam, yep. um, you know, who work, who manage the, the Cali Racing. Cameron there. Kenworth Cox. Correct, yes. Cam Cox. So they would just grab me normally near the catering um, area where they were having a <laughs> coffee in the mornings on the way to the track and just chew my ear off about ski racing. And yep. I think, you know, they're not alone now. Every member that I've met is passionate about the sport. And that's one of the things that I've really admired about my time involved, just the passion of all the members. Yeah, unwavering, really. It's interesting. We'll touch on that a little bit later yep. on. But... Um, Really wanted to know your why. I mean, you know, we, you hear about 
you know, people's why they do anything. And um, how did the ski racing CEO role come about, obviously, first of all? Um, and then what's it evolved into now? And, and tell us how that all sort of came about and where we're at now. Yeah, no, that's good. I think um, the short version is I, uh, as I say, did a couple of years at CAMS, which is now Motorsport Australia, in a GM motorsport development. So I was overseeing the introduction of F4, um, the young pathway, the CAMS high performance plan, and also um, the Shannons Nationals. I ended up being series director for that. So I was wearing a few hats there. Um, and I always harboured an ambition to lead, to, to take on a CEO role. Yep. Um, Eugene Arocca is still there, who I reported into. He wasn't going anywhere in a hurry. Yep. And after a couple of years there, um, I started to, to just keep an eye out for, for a role that I could... Um, I guess relate to you know it didn't have to be motorsport but it, yeah. but I'd, you know equestrian or something like that was probably a bit left field so mm. uh, the role came up uh, once and uh, I actually applied for it and I wasn't successful uh, when when it came around back then in around 2016 2017 or 2016 so then I went on to Zagami Autosport and ran a, a customer race division there for Bobby and then the role came up again so I had another crack so second time lucky so I was determined to get yeah. into the seat. Um, you know, I liked, I liked the, the sport, I guess the passion around it, you know, I think it, I, I could relate to it, but I also thought I could bring some levels of safety, my experience in motorsport, um, perhaps some governance experience, you know, and, and hopefully some commercial sponsors, which I thought I could bring along. So anyway, I, um, cut a long story short, I did convince them second time round, and it was a bit of a change, you know, and chairman Russell Lewis had, had come on and there was yep. a few different board members at the time but um, um, so I guess uh, came on board and where I am now so I currently contract back to Ski Racing Australia as a consultant so sport and commercial development so look I think it's everyone knows that we've had some challenges last year when the yeah. insurance was the renewal process and I was right in, in the middle of all of that trying to make sure that we could keep insurance yeah. And it wasn't just ski racing. I mean, it's been a volatile market. There's a time when the insurer has the upper hand and there's a time when the insured has the upper hand. And unfortunately, it was the insurer back mid last year. Yep. So we looked at a 40% increase of the insurance. Um, we looked at how we're going to keep the sport afloat, pardon the pun. Um, and I'll say that the CEO has never a high-paid role in any sport. So just to <laughs> clarify yep. that. Yeah, but... Um, you know, look, I had a couple of other people approach me about some contract work around that time, and I thought maybe there's a way that this could work for both parties. I can save the sport some money by, by resigning the CEO role, but I can still stay involved a few days a week, uh, come up with some projects that the board wanted to work wanted me to work on. The first one was the constitution change, so I guess that yeah. was something that I take... You know, I'm proud that we saw that through and we were able to educate the members that strategically long-term it was probably a good a good call. Um, and I stepped back into a contractor role initially for six months, but happily that's been extended and um, yep. currently doing, I would say, more than three days. <laughs> so um, I'm pretty much back to full time with a with a change in the board and some more challenges, you know, ahead for the sport yet. But um, you know, there's a challenge for every sport getting through COVID nineteen and coming out the other side to survive and. Um, you know, I'm, I, yeah, I, I'm up for the challenge and I certainly don't want to disappear from the sport and I'm trying to help as best I can just yes. in a slightly different role now. Yeah, well, mate, you've covered off a few of my questions here. Sorry and about that. No, fantastic. I do, I do you, talk a lot, so this no. can hit the cutting room floor, <laughs> this show, if you like. Mate, I'm going to have to start paying you for this yeah, stuff. This yeah. is unreal. Um, no, but, you know, you touched on the COVID-19 thing and, and sponsorship opportunities and, and yeah. probably one of the things that I've been thinking about and wanted to ask you was, where do you see us? I mean, obviously, supercars, football, cricket, you know, darts, lawn bowls, everybody's going to try and keep themselves front of mind, front of house yeah. at the moment. And, um, you know, there's obviously certain demographics that we appeal to in terms of sponsorship. I know totally. you had the, the Holden, the sports cat yes. deal going on, which, you know, every guy wants to tow their ski race boat with something cool like that. Yes. Um, what sort of other demographics and what sort of other products do you see us targeting in terms of sponsorship? Yeah, I, I um, when I started, that was one of the first things in the first three, four months. I thought, let's see if we can commercialise our assets. And the biggest one for me, well, one of the obvious ones was was our videos um, that were done by Sportscom, you know, video wraps. The yeah. Southern 80 would get six-figure views 
when you when it'd stay up for a couple of weeks. If you look yeah. at it two weeks later, it'd have over a hundred thousand views. And I thought that 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 reach is 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 quite significant, you know, for a, for a fifteen hundred uh, thousand eleven hundred member sport. So um, we commercialised those, and we were able to get some revenue in to SRA for the holding screen. So Mercury yeah. had been a long time supporter, yeah. um, and HSV took position on that as well as co-branding. Yeah. Um, there was the vehicle sponsorship. A lot of people, I guess, or members probably weren't aware that our insurer also contributed financially, but clearly we were spending quite a bit with them. <laughs> uh, and also our broker back then, Windsor Management, tipped in some money towards that Macintosh research that we did. Yeah. Um, in answer to your question, I think you're right. It's going to be very difficult. First of all, companies, the biggest handbrake on coming out of COVID-19 on any big corporate will be marketing. That's the first thing they'll put a line through and yeah. expenditure. Yeah. Um, but we're not going to be foreign. There'll be a lot of sports, you know, all. And I think also when you get into an Olympic year, it tends to be those Olympic sports tend to be able to get the dollars. We're, you know, I understand we're, we're a lot smaller. So we've got to know our space. Yeah. But we've got, and what I was able to, I guess, convince some of our partners was that we've got very proactive and engaged members. So if we can offer them one of your products, I'm sure the uptake you know, will be there. Within the membership base, yeah. Yeah, and we've looked, we've looked at a number, number of things, and I can touch on one of them, which was, was a looking at, through our previous insurer, a bespoke boat package. Yep. You know, and he was quite open to that, and we workshopped that around for six or eight weeks, and that was my job, to try and get these <laughs> things over the line. Um, but he needed 90% uptake from the members for it to yep. work. So in other words, it was... Dave Bishop has his boat insured by Club Marine. Yep. If we could get this package up, it'd be 30 40% less. Yep. But it needed big numbers to get it over the line. So I was trying to be creative, and then what we would do there is a rebate for every member that purchased that insurance would be invested back into the sport. You know, um, Same with the HSV. If we had a sale of a Colorado sports cat or a Rodeo, that would come back in You know, at back the in. end of the financial year or whatever. So those sorts of packages and rebates are probably going to be things that we have to be more you know attuned yeah. to rather than just yep. searching for top dollars i mean another one um and this is all sounds like oh yeah but some maybes but <laughs> but we were very close in getting a naming rights partner for the world's team yeah so you know that that you know chelsea did a great job and bub in trying to make that stack up you know and you were part of that team and everyone earned their spot but to try and make it stack up financially so i tried to i guess sell sell that, sell the yeah. Australian team naming rights to that. And we were very close at having a multinational and it went all the way back to their head office in America. But unfortunately, it was a little bit too left of field for them. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's so, a numbers game, Cam, like any sales gig, isn't yeah. it? You know, it's, it's, you've got to throw the numbers out there. and So, no, you're right. And look, it's, it wasn't for lack of trying, but, um, you know, we're not a high-profile sport. However, we're very much community engaged. So I think that's where we need to really focus on. Yeah, 100%. Mate, um, you know, I just want to touch base. A lot of people come to me, you know, you hear the back talk and, and probably because I'm around ski racing all the time and I'm around the people and I, I speak to everyone from the, you know, the 60-mile-an-hour guys that are that yeah. passionate. It's crazy. I, I just love them. Yeah. You know, up to your super-class guys and, and you hear a lot of, ah, oh, the bloody CEO, you know, he's done this or he's, he's made this decision or he's made that decision. I know it's not like that. Mm. Tell people what the role of the CEO is, because I know you're ultimately answerable to the board, aren't you? Yeah, for sure. Any, I mean, that would have been previous CEOs, you would have had that feedback on, of course, Bisho, wasn't, wasn't me. Never you, mate, yeah, never you. Course. No, no, absolutely not. No, so the CEO, <laughs> I guess, is the conduit to the board um, and the members. You're the middleman, effectively, yeah. in any CEO in any sport. If you look at the Constitution, the CEO has certain powers designated by the board, but not all. Yeah. So any decision that was going to impact the direction of the sport, classes, um, events, uh, anything like that is voted on and decided by the board. Um, and in the previous board, I can say that, you know, there was a couple of wild cards. Yeah. So they would have a casting vote, you know, if it was a hung jury or Russell yeah. Wood as the chair. Yeah. But otherwise, it was the vote of the board. Yeah. So the CEO's role is to certainly manage his or her board and steer his board with data and information, yeah. and certainly encourage them to head in a direction. But I, you know, there was, as I say, there were certain things that I could make a decision on, which might be, for example, um, you know, I I changed the indemnity or the waiver form, the membership waiver form. I yeah. thought there were some holes in that, and I yeah. copped a little bit of flack from a few members that it was too heavy sided, you know. Um, 
that one there, the board gave me the power if I thought that with our legal, obviously yeah, they wrote yeah. it, I didn't write the indemnity, our legal Naturally. firm did. Yep. Um, they gave me those powers. But anything that I guess were big ticket decisions about the sport, uh, then certainly they were, you know, they were at board level. Yeah. yeah. Tough gig, mate, really, when you think about it. And when you came on board, I think we had two, I think Blake Ticknell. Just um, before me. Just happened before you. Yeah, and, and I think Kevin Bartrick. Yeah, also just, just before you, my just time. Before, so, so they, they yes. were under Wes's um, leadership, yeah. But yeah. still pretty tough. And then obviously we had the unfortunate passing of Dale, Dale Ashton. Dale Ashton, at, uh, of course. At Rome. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that that's... How do you deal with that? I mean, yourself, mentally, you come into this and wow, like, this is big stuff. This isn't just someone's broken their toe, you know. This, yeah. this is, affects the sport, it affects sponsorship, it, it affects insurance, and you're here and probably didn't know a lot about the sport at that stage or how it ran even, you know, and yeah. you come into basically a firestorm of, oh, my God, what, what do I do here? How did you deal with that, and, and, and what was your mindset then? Yeah, look, firstly, you know, I feel... Um, for the Ashtons, you know, because uh, it's, um, yeah, it's terrible. No one wants to see that. Mm. Um, I came in with my eyes wide open. I knew that it was a, a high-risk, dangerous sport. I knew that we'd had incidents. Um, obviously, I had people in the sport like Lloyd and, um, and you know, Darren to, to keep me, uh, you know, to give me a bit of a heads up as to what I was coming into. Um, you know, I think when you look at it, there's no common, every incident's different, and that's the same in car racing. There's never one cause for any incident. Mm. And, and people can say ski racing is dangerous, well, motor racing's dangerous, football's dangerous, you know. It's all relative. Um, you know, I, I never wanted it to happen under, under my watch. You know, yeah. I was hoping that it wouldn't happen. Um, I guess there's some areas that, that we started working on, you know, as far as the helmet study hadn't been finished, the next round is neck restraint testing. There's, there were certainly a lot of things I could see when I came in that needed to improve from a safety yeah. perspective. Um, you know, did they, did they have any bearing on the outcome of, of Dale's tragic accident? No. You know, I don't think any helmet or neck restraint would have changed that no. outcome. Yeah. But, um, you know, how, how did I cope with that? I tried to show it empathy, you know, because no one could put yourself in Dale's wife's shoes. You know, no, no one, not, no yeah. one could do that. Uh, same for the Hackett family. You know, yep. um, I was there. I was there on the bank, like everyone else. I was, you know, tried to get our chaplain in, which we a motorsport chaplain. I don't want to go too much into the detail, yeah, but no. um, you know, but I think I guess what what I found was briefing the competitors the next morning. That was the toughest thing. You know, yeah. trying not to. To yeah. keep it together. Yeah. Um, I guess the main thing as a CEO was to lead through that time, be be compassionate. Um, but I, I felt that it was... And the board, obviously, it was the board's decision whether we cancelled the race or not. I felt that some competitors would have felt like they just needed to get out there, mm. but maybe their heads weren't in it. And yeah. I felt it was a better mark of respect to not race. Um, I also felt that the media would have come in, which they did, the next morning, yeah. and said there's two gentlemen fighting for life and here they are racing again and yeah. I didn't think that was a good look yeah so that was the decision we made um you know I was then obviously going through with the police etc but you know I had my own um teary moment driving back yeah two days later because yeah. I stayed all the next day and yeah. um yeah but I still I still think of that incident and I just feel for the families and I hope that um as a sport we can continue to learn from these incidents and and uh, prevent them happening in, in the future. Yeah, look, I, you know, that was a freak thing, uh, and it can happen. As a, I was a competitor in that race, and I have to say, mate, you handled it beautifully. From my Thank perspective you. as a competitor, I was at the briefing that you did yep. the next morning, and I think all those decisions were correct and right. And Mate, I didn't really feel much like racing myself. I would have if yes. they just said we were going, but yes. um, we didn't, and I was quite happy with that. And to just lift the mood a little bit, yes. Benny Hackett's... Up and working and back I have into it now. I've spoken to him a few times, yep. which sounds great. Yeah, so good on you, Benny, if you're listening. Hope you're uh, enjoying uh, listening in, mate. So, uh, no, you handled that really well. And now the latest and hottest tips from one of the world's best in all things ski racing. It's over to Jason Wormsley, a.k.a. Ziggy. Jason Wormsley, thanks for coming on the rope. Uh, glad to have you on board here. This is the first podcast we're doing with the Ziggs Tip segment in it. Um, I'm sure our listeners are going to get a great insight into the sport of ski racing and how to do it well. Uh, first question for our first ever podcast. It's a fitting sort of thing, really. Uh, it's how we should spend our off-season. Can you give us a bit of an insight into that? 
Hey, Jack. Uh, thanks for having me on board, mate. Good to see you still have a bit of faith in the old fella who hasn't raced in a while. But like you said, held plenty of positions in the sport and I reckon I still have a little bit to say that's worth listening to. I've put pen to paper many times to write my Ziggs Tips column. But I like what you guys have done with this podcast. It's a great idea. So you asked me about the off-season and what an off-season 2020 has been. I really think that for this year more than any other, training in the off-season is really important, both for your physical conditioning and your mental health. Um, you can shut everything out and apply yourself 100% to your training. Um, that type of mental prep will serve you well on race day. Yeah, well, thank you. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. I look forward to all the upcoming podcasts. I'm sure I've learned a lot from just this one. I'm sure other people will learn and I look forward to the year ahead and what you can bring all our listeners. Thank you. Thanks, mate. Appreciate the chat. Just touching on the insurance mm. scenario, and, and look, I'll just throw it out there. I don't really have an opinion myself on it, but I'll get yours. Um, we have racing that happens that's not sanctioned by SRA. Um, yes. You know, there's Region 5, um, the Cliftonville, a few other races that have happened here and there, and Grafton went away and then came back. Um, and, it, it, you know, in New South Wales, there's an insurance policy offered by the government, which is a little bit similar to what they do in New Zealand, which is the ACC, the Accident yes. Compensation Commission, um, which offers a very limited cover, yep. I believe. Um, people are quite happy to go and do that, or certain people are. I'm not saying that I would. I don't think I would, but it's going to be up to the individuals to decide that. Based on the fact that people are happy to go and do that, and we've got brilliant insurance cover, and I can tell you from mm. my own experience in France, you know, yes. I, I, I had a serious crash over there and, and, you know, got really well looked after. Yeah, I right. also have income protection. I have private health cover. I would recommend everybody get that. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, Competing race, in any sport. In for any that sport, matter. absolutely. So, you know, I wasn't leaning on SRA. Yeah as heavily as perhaps you might have to, but some people might have to. But my, my point of the question, sorry, I'm being a bit long-winded no, and we no. could be going off in a direction, but um, do we think that by the virtue of people that are going and doing these races, are we over-insuring ourselves? Are people going to race for less money? Should we think about lessering, lessening the insurance or is that madness? Should we, should we no, have it's the best not, we've got to find It's not totally madness, and I, I get where you're coming from. We've got to find a happy medium where the insurance is not going to send the sport under, but we've got enough cover that our members can race with ease. And if anything goes wrong, we're covered. There's a fine line in there. Um, and it's, it's very topical because we had a board, a new board with our new chair, which we can talk about um, just today, which yep. I'm still involved with those board meetings as a, as a guest. On um, the road podcast first with the latest camera. There you go, with our new yeah. chair, yep. Rowena McMally, who's a big asset to the sport, I might say. But... Um, we discussed it and it's up for renewal right now. So because we can't meet face-to-face, our brokers, we switch brokers to Gallagher's who uh, looked at all the um, insurance for the National Rugby League. In fact, that's their, one of their biggest clients. They do Motorsport Australia, the Australian yep. Grand Prix. So I feel that we've got a, a very good broker to place our insurance package. Um, what, we're, what we're looking at now is how we, how we redo this to get the season back up and running and not put any excessive cost back on the member base. Like how we keep it going yeah. with the insurance policy. On the Clifton Which everyone Bill, in the world's doing. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. So there might be a way that we can find some savings going forward. Now, the obvious one is if there's less racing because of COVID and we don't start racing, let's hope we can. But if it's September, October, um, you know, that, that will probably, it's a, it's a risk you know, analysis. Yeah. There's yeah. less racing. We don't want there to be less racing. The best thing to do is to find a package that can support our members and our sport uh, if something goes wrong. Getting onto the Cliftonville Region 5, they I don't know for a fact, but I'm assuming they run under the New South Wales Eye Care that you alluded to. Yep. It has a very basic cover um, for permanent disability. So yep. if you lose eyesight or, or lose a finger or, or something like that, heaven forbid it doesn't happen. But I feel they've been, and, I, and I'm, I'm not trying to put the pressure on them, because they do great things. And most of the competitors there are SRA members. You know, that, got a, I was going to make that point, yeah. That's, that's right. Everyone racing there is an SRA Correct. member. Correct. They have a junior development program. You know, Cliftonville do it really well. Mm. Our members compete there. I, I've reached out to them when I first started. We'd love them to come in under, you know. And I think, yeah. uh, I think there's still work to be done there to bring them in under. But I would also say that I feel they've been fortunate that they haven't had a major incident. Mm. Um, I'm not saying... Don't go and race. I wouldn't say that. But 
but I've, the level of cover that SRA have is a very different level to what's offered at those events. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, we certainly need to... I, I think the insurance came... To keep the sport going in this last 12 months came at a big cost. Yeah. And that's not... We can't substantiate that. We've got three key strategies at the moment that the board talked about today, and we've got a two half-day workshops coming up in the next two weeks to keep the ball rolling with our new board. Um, and it is to get back racing as soon as possible, to renew the insurance at a much more palatable rate yep. and get some strategy going for the next 12 to 18 months for longevity in the sport. And that will involve lobbying governments for funding. We need to look outside the box. And, you know, we, we have a very, as I said, passionate group. Our events, particularly regional, are big. I know Mildura Ski Club do a very good job of tapping into the local government there. So they're, the, I guess, the three short-term things that, that we're looking at. And insurance is a hot topic. So um, yeah. where the new board is, is working now, flat out, on, on uh, achieving that. I get, from my perspective, and it's been like this forever, is our cross-competitor liability. I mean, you know, yeah. the, the theory is, I guess, that a skier can fall and then can sue the observer. Um, you end up in court and the judge says, well, why didn't you slow down for the skier? Not understanding the sport at all. Sure. Um, and you've got a problem. So that's, I guess, why our cover is so good, because yes. it does cover that. Yes. You get what you pay for. Uh, and I guess if you ask, would we ever race without insurance? No chance. No. So the sport wouldn't survive without it. A lot of the venues, and, and Maritime is an example, RMS, if we want a permit to run the Southern 80, the Southern you know, Moama Water Sport Club need 20 million public liability. You know, if I'm if I'm to go and run a, a basic defensive drive day at Sandown as Cameron McConville Link, I need 20 million PL cover in case someone slips and falls over. So yeah. there's a certain level of insurance we must have. Um, yeah. We're just now going to spend the time in this off season while there's no racing to make sure we get the best package at the right level, but is sustainable for the sport. The image of ski racing as well, in terms of accidents and things that we've happened, but also on the flip side of that, you know, the excitement and the, yeah. the boats and the, the, the family atmosphere, you know, I mean, how often do we say, you know, dad's driving, mum's observing and the two kids out the back of skiing, exactly. what other sport can you do that in? You can't. Where do you see the image of the sport, though, at the moment in the general public? I mean, would, you, would your kids are racing go-karts at the moment, I believe? Uh, driving go-karts, not racing. Just driving? No, I don't earn enough money to have them racing. <laughs> Come on, mate, this is me you're talking to, and yeah. just one or no, two. No, no, we've got really a couple of go-karts, yes. But would you encourage your kids to ski if that's something they wanted um, to do? Well, my daughter does ski, yeah. actually. She's uh, skied a few times up at Bundalong. A friend of hers has got a place up there, um, yep. and my son... I shouldn't say it's a dirty word. He does a bit of wakeboarding. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, I get what you're saying. I think we've got a lot of work to do in that junior development space. You know, I think, um, as I say, I know Moama after uh, the BHAG run a day, Mildura, again, are proactive in that space. I think we've got a lot of work to do, but I think we have to... We have, we're, we're re, Effectively, we're rebooting the sport out of COVID, and I think we've just got to walk before we run, you know. Um, we had a stand, for example last year at the boat show, you know, try and get some yeah. interest. I think we need to be out there a bit more at those type of events. 100%. Um, yep. And we need to encourage kids. We need to not forget, and I know there's been a lot of talk in the sport since I've been involved, which is nearly two years now, about superclass and speeds. We need to not forget the grassroots. Like you mentioned earlier, the 60 mile an hour, those guys, they're the backbone of the sport, really. Yeah. Um, yep. We need to find a way to attract the next generation. I agree. And I think that's a whole different strategy piece yeah. on, on its on itself um i think the image i mean you know i can say i've been very fortunate over the years i've driven an f1 car i've raced cars um going into two superclass boats that i had one in stinger um, and one in pigs right up there with driving an f1 car it was the most unbelievable experience really? to driving an f1 car sitting yeah. in that observer seat it's That's... fair to say i absolutely shat myself um <laughs> with pigs so um well i wouldn't get in with chris myself, yeah well you know, if you're know, listening chris he already knows actually that. between he and greg it was a bit of a you know a Toss in, coin. yeah it was but um <laughs> no look I'm, i feel very lucky you know two of our best drivers ever yeah uh, along with yourself of course you wouldn't uh, get a boat with me would you i would i've just given the crutches away uh, well no let's go oh, no, i would happily do that <laughs> but you know i think you're right i mean the events you have a look at where our events are they're on a river beats any smelly racetrack eastern creek with yep. a tip blowing on the other side when i first <laughs> went to the hawks 3120 i mean how good is this there's so much scope for entertainment um you know and i know it's all cost related but some of the things you know the remote control boats that we had at the yeah. b hag just having activity, 
Um, hopefully we can get back to that level. But at the moment, you know, we, we are. We're, there's no doubt all sports are in survival mode. But yeah, I'm sure. hoping that we can get that brand back out there once we, you know, get, get the strategy in place for the next two years and come out the other side. It's funny you say that. You made me laugh because... Um I turned up to Sandown uh, the year before last and, and Todd Kelly, I went and saw him in the pits and Todd looked me up and down and he said, why would you want to come to a racetrack? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he oh. couldn't believe it, but, you know, he loves getting out to Mildura and going ski racing. So That's exactly right. what you're saying. Well, I think, you know, when I look at the two events, I mean, the two big ones, the 80 there, and not just the corporate thing, the whole way along the river, mm. um, and then again, what Mildura do with the 100. I mean, it's just a great atmosphere. You know, I used to send photos... To family and friends and they're like oh it's tough at the top you know but I mean it really is an environment for everyone and I think that the ult- we are the ultimate lifestyle sport and that's something that we've really got to hone in on um, coming at the other side of, of this uh, this COVID phase where we all want to get back to racing. Well mate you're right I mean you know I, the way I see the COVID thing is this the big reset you know I mean it's going to be a big reset for the whole world yeah. Not, you know, business, jobs, the way people operate, the way they look at stuff. It can be our reset as well. I mean, there's yep. two, always two ways to look at stuff. And, you know, if we look at this with a positive light, okay, we've had a few problems over the last few years. Yeah. This might be the bang, the full stop that we put on that and move on and, and get some good stuff happening. Like you say, with the board now, yes. um, fantastic stuff. I'm like 100, I'm 100% behind that. I just did want to mention, though, or, or talk about, mate, our relationship with the authorities. Um, you know, RMS, TSV, yep. Victoria and Queensland, and you've got the police, and we've got, obviously, all the state, the local councils that issue yep. our permits. Overall, and this is a pretty general question, because obviously each entity has their own, but how do you see our relationship with them, and, and how do you think that they perceive us? Yeah, I think um, over the years, from what I can tell, it's, it's had its trials and tribulations. It's been up and down. But I would say currently, 95% of our, of our stakeholders and Maritime being the, the biggest one yeah. are ski racing fans. They really are. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously it doesn't help us when people go on a, on a Friday or a week before a race at 90 mile an hour the wrong way up the river. That yeah. certainly doesn't help us. But... That's the minority. That doesn't happen very often, I yeah. might say, but that used to come to me and that was always difficult when you were trying to negotiate with Maritime <laughs> for a yeah. $50,000 grant on safety when stuff like that would happen. But um, I, I would say, yeah, you know, David Hunter, they've, they've had some changes. The director for Maritime Safety, Neil Patchett, who I was dealing with, was the one um, that was instrumental in, in, in continuing the work with, with McIntosh, but as I say, was open to further funding. That they want to see the sport survive. They really do. Yeah. They love the sport. You know, yeah. If you look at all the maritime uh, officials we have at the events, you know, particularly the 80, they do want, want to support it. Um, the Southern 80, and I just mentioned that because when I started, I think a month into my role, I was attending these emergency planning meetings from June and there were nearly 20 people in the room because it obviously yeah. goes New South Wales, Victoria. Yeah. There was fire, ambulance, Campaski Council, um, New South Wales Police, Victoria Police. So Shippy and the team up there, do a, you know, it's a massive beast. It's a huge event. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but all the police would always work with us to write, write, can you just maybe give us a bit more there? If, if there wasn't enough information, it wasn't like, no, nah, this event's not going to happen. Yeah. This is what we need you to do. Come on, let's work together. To make sure the event goes ahead, so I'd say the relationship, yeah, that they're all supportive of what we're trying to achieve for sure. Mate, I reckon the police are, are, are the best bunch going around, aren't they? Because they've got the crappiest job. I wouldn't oh, be a copper for love or money. T- totally. And it is amazing, you know, the job that they do, and and how you know you, you wonder how more people don't get whacked by coppers. Yeah. Seriously, because they should. They um, lose their, They should lose their patience. They should lose their patience, and they yeah. don't. So. Uh, but and as I say, the majority of ski racers, you know, ninety nine point nine nine percent, have done the right thing too. And so, yeah, look, maritime, maritime safety, I see them as, as, yeah, they're partners in our sport for sure. Mate, do you see the calendar that we run? I mean, you can nearly race every weekend. Yeah. And I've said it a few times to a few people, uh, you know, over the journey that it's becoming, it's gotten to a point where you have to pick and choose what you do. If you're, a, if, if you're like me, I'm a dying, I feel like I'm a dying breed in the sport in that mm. I'm a guy that works for a salary yeah. and, you know, I love my boat and I love my ski racing. I've done it forever. Yeah. But, you know, it gets to a point where I say, well, I'm going to have to pick that river race, that river race, and, and maybe that point score series. Is that just going to be the norm now? Or do we shrink our calendar down and yeah. try and make it achievable? Look, and I think you're right. Post-COVID, I think, is the time to relook at all of this. And we're having these strategy, you know, two half days as a start. It'll be more than that. To look at how the calendar's going to roll out. Certainly, SRV 
New South Wales are the, are the bigger two, as we know, and they've already, um, in the process, literally over the last 24 hours of submitting draft calendar. Personally, as an outsider, I was very surprised at the amount of events when I came in. I thought, wow, this really does dilute the field a fair bit. Yep. There's the finances and just getting the time to race at all yeah. these events. And then now, just I'm sure you know about this, but coming into another world season, so yeah. suddenly... Yeah. selection races which you know just magnified everything so i think now is the time to take a breath which clearly we're doing and rethink re how it's going to roll out you know i think the mix of our calendar is good i think we can't lose that club level point score racing circuits classics but there is a lot of events yeah. and is it sustainable for the clubs is another thing can the clubs run nine or eight or nine point scores between mm three different states, you know, yeah. weekends apart, yeah. and have 10 entries or eight boats and 25 entries. I don't think that's sustainable. Yeah. So at the moment, we'll be going back to the states, back to the clubs. You know, we need to get input from everyone. It's not just what the board think. We need yeah. to get input from the clubs. Yeah. But I agree with you. I think now's the time to re-look at how it's going to roll out for the next season. Yeah, I mean, you can combine some stuff too, couldn't you? I mean, you know... And I only ever thought the other day, and I spoke to Chris Pogarelli about it actually, in that, you know, if we're going to do selections, do we combine them with each state's, uh, and I'm not asking for a yes or no here from yeah. you right now, but, you know, just a thought to throw out there, do we combine them with the state titles of each state? You know, you have a state titles in Queensland, you have a state yes. titles in New South, you have one in Queen, in uh, Victoria and one in South Australia. Yeah. Do we put the selection races at those events that were happening anyway so they're not yes. extra events being added to the calendar? Yeah, and, and like it's that. a very good point. No, I think, and that's definitely on the table. I mean, clearly it's not my decision, I'm, yeah. even when I was the CEO <laughs> and I'm not, but I'm, I'm, I advise and work with the board and we all work together, you know, but... I agree. I think that's a really good option, and it's certainly one that's been considered. I mean, we don't even know yet. Is the world's locked in? It's, I don't know. You know, is it post-COVID? Um, if you ask me, and this is just Cam McConville as yep. a ski racing That's why you're here, son. I am that's a social member. Yep. I think two years is too soon, and yep. and I don't want to get anyone that... I don't want to... You know, the, anyone that makes a world-level event, my hat's off to It's massive. Every two years, financially, time-wise, um, and it's a lot of resources, uh, and, and there's a lot of drain on the sport and on people's time, on the Chelsea, the Bubs. I, yeah. I think, like, the Olympics, four years or minimum three would be great. Yeah. I think it builds the prestige around it, too. I mean, it felt like yesterday yeah. we were going, yeah. and you we're coming me. into a world I only season. just got out of hospital. No. <laughs> We're doing surprisingly well, mate. You're looking fit to me. Um, but, yeah, look, I think... All of that at the moment, and the clubs will get input. And I agree. I think I like that idea of state titles being um, a selection race. I think yeah. the other issues we've got to look at. We've got to find a way to reboot Queensland and South Australia. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, Queensland has been suffering for races, and I mean, what a beautiful space for ski racing. And we know there are members up there and yeah. boats in sheds. Yeah. So there are other things on the table at the moment that we need to try and get those two states. And they. Up. They're passionate. The Queenslanders are the most passionate people going around. Yeah. Some of the coolest boats come out of Queensland, and, and as you say, a lot of them are sitting in sheds collecting dust as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, so, you know, Don, Don Gully was on our previous board. He's the Queensland delegate now, and he's very keen as well and very passionate about rebooting it. So we're working with him and the Queensland committee to try and, again, part of this strategy, not... Not a strategic plan for three years. It all sounds fluffy, but yeah. it's been a short-term strategy over yep. 12 months to get the sport back up and running again. Get it up and going. Yes. Um, mate, I, I think that, um, you know, pretty much... I, I wrote down some questions. I don't normally do You've that. I'm not that. very good at um, reading. Very, it looks very professional. It does, and I've, I've probably got bit through about half of it. But you That's answered right. most of it for me anyway. Um, but I do have... So we're going to wind up. Um, yes. So I do thank you for your time, Cam, because you've, you've come down to, to where I am and we've got the glass wall between us and we're not allowed to touch each other. We couldn't so, even hug when no, we, we got couldn't. here, which is very disappointing for me. Um, the final question, mate, and this is very serious stuff. Yes. Oh, were you the stig on top? <laughs> Just steering <laughs> off ski racing for a moment. The yes. stig on top. Well... Are you allowed to disclose I'd have, this? I'd have to um, shoot you, um, yes. or at least chop off one finger if I told you. <laughs> but um, I guess because the show's been axed many moons ago, <laughs> yes, I was when it was on Channel 9. I wasn't the really? UK stick. I would love to have been the UK stick. So it started yes. on SBS yep. uh, for one season. It only made two seasons before I got the arse. Um, but when Shane Jacobson took over as host 
Steve Pizzardi was also one of the yep. presenters who's a good mate of mine, one of my best mates. He threw my hat in the ring, and yes, so I did it for one season uh, on Channel 9, and it was actually um, a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Going into... It was actually the first time... You could go to a track and not have to talk to anyone. <laughs> I just stayed in the room all day. We shot at Camden Airport in Sydney. Yep. And I'd stay there all day and I had to keep my gear on because if someone opened the door, I was in a little yep. portable building at Helmet the airport. Helmet on. Helmet on. And one day, uh, I'll tell one quick story, Hamish Blake and Andy Lee were the ones doing the ute laps. Yes. So I was always stig lapping the hot car of the week when they were doing their ute laps in the <laughs> shitbox. And they were trying to unzip me and open my visor. And yeah, it was, um, anyway, it was a bit of fun. So it was, a, it was a bit of fun. Well, mate, I did not expect that. I thought you would have kept that under your hat. And no, it doesn't matter. So I, can't get sued. Uh, I can't get sued any further. But... Um, no, look, it's been a pleasure, Bisho. I take my hat off to what you're doing with the podcast. It's great to keep the sport informed. Um, and all I'll say to the members is to give the new board, the, the old board did a great job, give this new board a go, stay a member of, of Ski Racing Australia because if you can afford to stay a member, you're going to help keep the sport going. Hey, Bisho. Hey, guys. i tell you what, that was a fantastic interview done there with Cam McConville. Joining us here this afternoon or on this podcast, we've got Tim Horbury, Mick Kelly, Chelsea Stevens, and of course, Dave Bishop Bishop, who did the interview, and Jack Coldrake. Fantastic interview there, Bishop, mate. I tell you what, he probably brings to ski racing what he put into V8 supercar racing, but did he or did he not? Was he asked to leave this position that he was in? Yeah, hey, it was great to just, you know, to touch off. First of all, Lumpy, great to catch up with him and great for Cameron to give us his time as well. He actually drove across the other side of Melbourne to come and chat with me and he was he was more than keen and more than, you know, ready and willing to help. And I genuinely think he's got a, a love for the sport, mate. So, yeah, I, I think um, in terms of, well, the discussion that we had, him and I, and you, you would have just heard it on the podcast, was that he sort of looked at the situation and saw that there was no money, really. I mean, the reality was at the end of the day, SRA didn't have the money in the coffers to, you know, realistically be able to pay him. And and yeah. as he mentioned in the pod, so um, I think it was a mutual agreement, a mutual decision. I think it worked for everybody, and it's great to have. You know, I think it's great that Cameron sort of put his hand up. I mean, I know people say, oh, he's going to get paid as a contractor, blah blah blah. But I think um, we do need professional people in our sport. We do need recognisable faces. And, you know, his promotion's probably priceless, I reckon, Lump. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And Chelsea, you had a couple of things to say as well. So, I mean, I think Cam McConville, he made a, a few really good points, to be honest. I mean, uh, junior development, something that's very close to my heart and love, you know, the Tasman Challenge down here in Victoria. Victoria. And Cam spoke about, I guess, getting in front of new crowds, which I think is very true. You know, it's important that we get in front of new crowds. He mentioned the boat show and things like that and I think that's really important because at the moment a lot of our junior development's just done internally in the sport I guess so not really getting us um, you know in front of new people to get into the sport uh, although we we will also need to amp up the internal junior development as as well so there's a few other things I guess the calendar and and a post-covid reset restart and and about the sort of the number of events we have in the sport I think is really important as well and um, that's something we need to really look into. And, and selection races, he spoke about selection races and potential. Bishow, I think, mentioned the potential of running them at our state titles. And, you know, although I think that's a great idea, I just don't think that's feasible with world titles taking place in totally different water conditions. I think that makes it, um, makes it a little bit hard that's for sure, for something like that to take place. But um, I guess to finish off, he he did touch on the fact that this is a little bit difficult for me, that my father-in-law is one of the uh, best drivers in history. And, I mean, I've got to sit at, a, I've got, I've got to sit at family barbecues with this guy, right? So, I, did, I didn't you know, know David Bishop was your father-in-law. No, if we, if we can remove that out of the podcast, Lumpy, that would be really good for the future. No, it's, my all, it's all in there. It's all in there. It's all done. No. else is too late. <laughs> but on a, on a serious note, on a serious note, he did mention that sitting in the bikes of Pigs Arsenal and Stinger is up there with driving a Formula One car. And I mean, God, if that doesn't get the crowd moving, I don't know what will. That's pretty cool. That's a that's an awesome description of what it's like to sit in one of these race boats. That's exactly right. He did say that. And uh, I always say if it doesn't turn you on, you haven't got a switch. Now, um, <laughs> we, we, we go back to the Constitution, Bisho. What was he talking about when you talk about the Constitution? 
it, it was good to hear Cam talk about the Constitution, to be honest, because it means that he understood it, he knows it, he knows we've got one, which is a great start. Um, a lot of people out there in the sport probably should sit down and have a look at the Constitution um, because, you know, a lot of people probably don't even realise we, we have one or much less know what's contained in it. So, yeah, um, great to hear that he, he understands the Constitution. And, and with a lot of his job as, as well, he's not CEO anymore, but when he was CEO um, and also with his job now as a contractor or, a, you know, an advisor to us. Um, and a good understanding of the Constitution is really important, mate. So, um, yeah. I totally agree. Totally agree. Tim? Yeah, yeah Bishop, it's interesting constitutions and so forth. Um, it's really important. And firstly, congratulations. It's a really good listen. I really enjoyed um, the content. Um, and he is down to earth a really legitimately good bloke. I've, I've talked to Cameron on the bank, as many of us have. So we're glad to have him around the sport and have his face as part of what we're doing. I did get a sense that there's, there's some really serious issues that are, that are needing to be addressed for us to progress. And hopefully we can get racing when they're talking about it and maybe even sooner with the way things are at the moment. But I was talking to um, Brother John during the week about uh, the podcast and he's actually um, a really strong advocate pushing um, the agenda with our new board and trying to help as, as all the state bodies are to try and get this back up and going and talked about the new uh, chairperson for SRA. And uh, so we are going to line up an interview with her to introduce her to everybody through the podcast as well, which I think will be really valuable. But probably the big thing for me was the insurance thing. It's just a big mess. It really feels like it needs to be sorted out. Um, I do know that, uh, that John and the team have talked to some other insurers and they're negotiating with the insurers, insurers at the moment about, about what, what we cover and how we cover it. Pretty valid points there, uh, Tim. Now, we're going to hand over to... We're going to go north now, and we're up to Mick Kelly. Uh, Mick, you obviously listened to the interview, and we just want to hear a Queenslander's view on it, really. Yeah. Are you going, are, are you, are you going to hang shit on somebody else, or...? <laughs> I would think so. I mean, that's what I do. Take the piss, I but, think. That was yeah. the, the thing, yeah. Yeah. It's you your time st- now. <laughs> you got to, got to stick with what you're good at, Lumpy. Um I mean, the, the big thing I take about it is such a thankless job. Everyone hates the governing body regardless. Like, all you ever hear is, oh, they made a shit decision. Oh, they did this. They, they're not doing what we want. You've got to remember, and like Cam said it in there, his role is driven by the board and the board is driven by the members. You know what I mean? Like, so it's, it, it's swings and roundabouts, which is a bit serious and a bit unfun. I mean, but, you know, like you, you've got to kind of, everyone's got a role to play. From Queensland, yeah, I mean, he's talking about the number of races. There's five Victorian river races. If I lived in Victoria, if you thought I would travel north, you're off your head. Like, yeah. you, know, you know what I mean? Like, I, yep. I, I love Grafton, I love Sydney, but if I had that much racing close to me, I wouldn't bother going. There's no point. And, yeah. and again, yeah, that's exactly right, Ed. And, you know, that's where it all comes down to. Where do we set up our races? What do we do? It's all involved in that sort of stuff, mate. And absolutely, yeah, like you, uh, and I, I agree again, a valid point. We've all made valid points out of this. We're going to head over to a youngster now in, in Jack Coldrake. Yeah, look, look, guys, you've all raised some very valid points. Um, congratulations, Bisho. I was stoked to listen to you put Cameron against the clock and talk about the sport we all love. <laughs> It's very interesting to get his aspect and insight on what it's like to steer the ship. Obviously, we all heard that the CEO role is a very difficult role and one that can be, you know, people can easily hang it on him. But as we've all learned, he's driven by the board and the board's driven by its members. I think that Cameron is a, he's a great bloke and he's done a lot of great things in many different categories. As we all know, he's a pretty high calibre person. To be able to listen to him talk about the sport we love is pretty cool. Um, the insurance thing, I, I didn't know much about it myself, to be honest. So it was very interesting to hear what he had to say, the issues surrounding the insurance um, and how we can move forward, etc. and the types of things they've done to help it. Yeah. Um, I believe the recent accidents probably hasn't helped the case, although he touched on safety and junior development. And I think that if we support those areas, they're definitely a way to move forward and help our sport. Well said, mate. And I totally agree. Uh, just going back to Mick. Now, as far as his job's concerned, nobody likes that job. And you're 100% right because everybody that is on top 
then all of a sudden the people down below, they go, oh, well, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't know. Who now stands up to go, well, I want to be the CEO? No, mate, like you make a real good point. It, it's a bold move and you need someone who's bold. You need someone with a set of balls. For, Did you say bold or bold? Well, I said balls. I mean, I'm not suggesting it couldn't be a woman. Like, and, like, <laughs> yeah, Christy, watch yourself. Watch yourself, uh, Nico. Uh, I'd vote you, yeah, Christy was a great CEO. She made calls that people didn't want to make. It didn't make her popular. That's the nature of the beast. If you want to be at the top line, you need to think about outside influences to your decisions, be it RMS, be it safety, be it whatever. It's all well and good to go, we should do this. Yep. You know what? Screw these classes. We, this yep. is how you should run it. But yep. it's it's not that simple sometimes. And no, it's not, yeah. I'd like, you know... W- we as a podcast, we're not we're not in SRA's pocket. We're not in anyone's pocket. I'll say stuff that upsets people every day of the week, but it's you know it's pertinent to think. You know, it's it's not always black and white. It's not as easy as people think. And you know, on Facebook or whatever, everyone's got an opinion, but you need to keep in mind everyone else's angles and what you need to achieve before you really have a shot at somebody else, I think. The job of a CEO of somewhere, doesn't matter where you are, you can be CEO of Woolworths or you're not going to be popular with everybody. You can't keep everybody happy. Um, the, key thing, the key thing, Lumpy, is though that, that we need a plan. And, and unfortunately, through, through the journey, we've got lost in our pathway. Yeah. And so the, the constitution that Bisho was referring to earlier, the fact is we needed to rejig it so that actually everybody did get a fair and even say across the state. So as you know, I've moved back to South Australia. There's a very, very low presence here of ski racing. But the reality is when I go up to the river, the Murray River, it's a beautiful part of the world. There are ski boats everywhere and people who own shacks and they're water skiing. They're just yep. not engaged in the same way as the people are at Windsor or at Chuka or Mura. Yeah. And we need to actually find a way to get them back in sport. Well, I'll tell you what, the only way we're going to do that is by doing this podcast. On the road podcast, we need to get people involved. Exactly what Bisho did. He got Cam McConville, the ex-CEO of Ski Race Australia, involved. A fantastic interview, Bisho. Thanks, Lumpy. Well, this week's question is who tried to rip off Cam's driving suit and reveal to the world who the Stig really was? And bye for now. And you are... Audio production has been proudly produced by Mal's Media in association with our On The Road podcast sponsors, Coldies Tow Bars and Bull Bars, Mark Savage Merchandise, Bullet Boats, Rubber Jungle Wetsuits, TJH Coaching and Consulting, Rapid Concepts, Sven Productions, Bad Lad Australia and Bisho Media.